This is an honor to be here. My wife was commenting this morning after we were here last night and gained several pounds how warm and inviting your church was. That is a direct result of the influence of those who serve you in leadership. And so I am grateful to God for the warm welcome and the warm atmosphere of this church. I cannot say that in every church that I go to. And so you are to be commended for responding to the Holy Spirit. also want to thank the worship team. Uh, the lyrics chosen and the songs chosen fit perfectly with what we are going to say. Often, um, as a frustrated old musician myself, I feed off the music. And so that was very, very good for my soul. So thank you very much uh, for doing that. It is my task this morning to get you enthused about global ministry. And since that is absolutely impossible as a human, we're going to ask God to be with us and to give us from his Holy Spirit the power and enthusiasm we need to see the world as he sees it from the 33,000-foot level this morning. So let's pray together. Father God, as we go to your word, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for its leadership. I thank you for the way in which your spirit is evident here. Some of us may have come this morning out of a sense of habit, duty, maybe even dragged reluctantly. We pray that in the power of your spirit, you will take away all other thoughts and allow us to focus on you. May my words be what your Holy Spirit wants. And may we not see individuals or ministries, but may we see you and your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture today is from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. As I said, we're going to look at global ministry from a 33,000-foot level. So stay with me because there's going to be a lot in here. But I promise you we will be out on time so that you can beat the Baptists and the Pentecostals to the restaurant. Okay. Let's read this together as a congregation. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This morning we're going to look back at the shoulders upon whom we stand in global ministry. We're going to look around at our generation, and then we're going to look forward. Let's start with looking back. In the Word of God we read that Adam and Eve sinned, and the relationship with God was completely broken. In Genesis 3, we hear just a touch or a hint of God restoring that relationship. But it isn't until Genesis 12, when God gives a promise to an old Jewish man and his wife, 
that redemption is coming, do we begin to see what God has in mind for the world from that broken relationship. And all the way down through the Old Testament, that promise is repeated over and over again. Redemption is coming. It's summarized eloquently in Hebrews chapter 11. The stories of the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. It's really the Hall of Fame. And we look at those leaders and we look at those people named and we marvel at their faith as they looked forward because they did not have the information we have. And so we know the stories from Sunday school. We know about Noah and what he did. We know about Abraham. We know about Isaac. We know about Jacob. We know about Moses. We know about Gideon and Samson. And all of those we look at and say, marvelous leaders of the faith, but there's one I want to concentrate on just as we stop here. And that's Rahab. Moses, we understand, as a leader. Rahab? Moses grew up in the, par- in the palace of Pharaoh. He got his Ph.D. from the University of Cairo. He was a great leader. He took the Israelites through the wilderness. Rahab? Why is Rahab in there? When you ask most of us in North America why she is in there, if you know the story, some spies came in to look at the land. Joshua sent them in. And they went straight for Rahab's house. Why wouldn't they? Because that's the last place anybody coming in to, a couple of guys coming in, would not be readily identified. And when the people finally came and said, who are these people? Rahab hid them. And everybody goes, oh, that's why God blessed her, what she did. But that is not correct. If you read further on in the story of Rahab, It is what she said. Here's what she said to the spies. We have watched you come across the desert for a long time, and we are terrified of you because we know your God is the only God. That statement of faith puts Rahab on the track to be in the Hall of Fame. They eventually allowed her to live. She was saved. From Jericho, she and her family, she saved her family, influence. She eventually was put outside the camp of the Israelis because they couldn't quite let her live with them directly until a guy named Salmon went out, fell in love with her, and said, okay, moved her in. And if you look at the story of Rahab in Matthew chapter 1, you will understand that Rahab is in the genealogy of of Jesus. Don't you love our God? You can be Moses with all the privileges of royalty or you can grow up on the streets and when God gets a hold of you you can influence eternity. All down through the Old Testament, that comes until it empties into Matthew 1, 21. Redemption has arrived. Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
Oswald Chambers sums up the life of Jesus as he goes all the way to the cross on our behalf, taking our sin. The cross is a point where God and sinful man merge with a crash, and the way to eternal life is opened, but the crash is on the heart of God. The greatest note of triumph that ever sounded in the ears of a startled universe was that sounded on the cross of Christ. It is finished. It is the last word in the redemption of humanity. What was lost in the garden has now been restored. We have a way back to God. Hallelujah. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Now you go tell that story. In the power of the Spirit, God's global influence in Matthew 28, Mark 16, everybody gets it. Luke tells the results of what's going to happen of that influence. And John 20 has that almost horrific but beautiful commissioning of Jesus. In the same way I was sent to the world, you will be sent to the world. All of that empties into Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, when I ask North American audiences, where does your mission global work start? Inevitably, the answer is Jerusalem. May I encourage you this morning? It doesn't start in Jerusalem. It starts with the Holy Spirit. I don't care how big a kingdom you build here on earth. And I don't care how many people tell you it's wonderful, and I don't care how many people fall of you. If it wasn't from the Holy Spirit, there is no eternal influence. Zero. But when the Holy Spirit comes and pours through you into the lives of other people, my goodness, you will not even begin to understand the results until we get to heaven. And all down through history from that moment in Acts 1. By the way, the disciples were standing there looking up into heaven as Jesus ascended. The angel comes down and goes, what are you doing? He's standing here looking there. Get going. And all down through history, the gospel has been shared, received, shared, received, shared, received. Until you were told about Jesus Christ and I was told about Jesus Christ. When I get to heaven, there are two groups of people I want to meet. My family my earthly family, and I pray every one of them get there. But I also want to meet my spiritual ancestors who shared the gospel all the way down through here. Who were the people that through bravery, courage, faith, allowed the Holy Spirit to minister through them until my mom and dad told me about Jesus? I can't wait to meet them. It's an amazing story of God's grace, and we empty now into the postmodern era. Somebody decided that was in 1969. I have no idea why. And in the postmodern era, we stand on the shoulders, I stand on the shoulders of my parents who were in the modern mission movement and who took the gospel with their peer group to the country of Ethiopia. And so we look around now at what's happening and we see three postmodern influences. Again, 33,000 foot. Each of these is a seminar on its own. The first is a comprehensive change from an industrial to a technological society. Duh. 
No, this means that global power is now in the hands of a computer instinctive generation. And you can see all shades of that in the news every day, the power of Google, the power of Amazon, the power of all these other tech industries. But it touches the church. Every generation has fought the previous generation. Am I right? In my day, years ago, we grew our hair down to here as guys and listened to Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. And if you know who they are, you shouldn't. But when somebody invented the Internet, we think it's Al Gore, we're not sure, (laughs) that gulf widened. And now those of us who grew up in the industrial generation look across the generational gulf at the younger generation and we go, you're not as committed as we are. Which being interpreted is, you're doing things way differently than we ever did. We don't understand you. So therefore, you can't be as committed as we are. The younger generation looks back across that fault line at us and goes, you're not attractive. Which being interpreted is, you're not attractive. (laughs) I do not understand technology. I am terrified of this little thing I'm holding in my hand. Thank you, people, for helping me. When I don't know how to use my iPhone, I go to the younger generation. Why are we telling them how to do things methodologically? What we can offer you, young people, please listen to me, is theology, values, and principles because you're growing up in a Canadian society that is anti-God. And you don't know how much God loves you. And you don't know that you have the Holy Spirit in you. And you can influence because your society is telling you you are not valuable as people. But when we start telling you how to do things, smile at us. The second thing we find out is that there has been global migration. Look around this room. This is the best definition. I know it's a bit outdated, but follow me. An English princess with an Egyptian boyfriend crashes in a French tunnel driving a German car with a Dutch engine, driven by a Belgian, drunk on Scottish whiskey, followed by Italian paparazzi on Japanese motorcycles, treated by an American doctor using Brazilian medicine. (laughs) That's our world. When my parents went to Ethiopia in 1948, it was deep, dark, and mysterious. And we could dazzle you with stories of Ethiopia because you didn't know. Now there are over 60,000 Ethiopians who live in Canada. A lot of them in the hotel and parking lot industry here in Toronto. And I'll drive down the Don Valley parking lot and I'll pull into a parking station and there they are. And I'll go, Tanasli, and Devonach, oh, you speak our language. Sometimes I get my parking for free. (laughs) Everybody's everywhere. So suddenly we realize global mission is not geographic so much anymore. It's not sending people to different places so much anymore. It's the idea that everybody is everywhere. And if you look around you, you begin to understand that you can influence people from all over the world right here in the city of Unionville, Markham. The third one, it leads naturally to partnerships. The challenge is no longer one of national authority versus foreign missionary. Let me explain that to you. When my parents went out, 
the North Americans sent primarily white people to the rest of the world to tell the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that God has blessed that? I was telling the people last night, boy, that food was good. (laughs) Telling the people last night, when my parents went to Ethiopia, it was just a tiny baby church. They were just in their infancy, the Ethiopians. Today, there are over 9 million Christians. They did a great job. And if you ask them, they will tell you, we just went, we just obeyed. Half the time, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. But God worked through us. And all over the world now, God has produced his church. Hallelujah. And it's no longer who gets to send, or it's no longer so much do we just support foreign workers because it's a lot cheaper to do that. No. The issue now for you, you younger generation, is how are we going to work together to get the task done? And this is a perfect incubator for you beginning to learn about everybody else's culture sitting in this church. I love it. So that the gospel can go to the whole world. I have been called to leadership. When I started out in leadership, it was because I was in humanitarian work and I discovered that most of the aid going to different places in the world didn't get there, not because there wasn't money, infrastructure, or the ability to get it there. It was because bad leaders were stopping it. We're in the country of Haiti. We did spring caps that purified the water system for a village area of about 12,000 people, and we eradicated typhoid in two years. Hallelujah, right? No. The government came to us and deported us. And when we said, why are we being deported? They said to me, it's because you've taken away the livelihood of our local hospital and doctors and nurses. I began to get fascinated about leadership. In 2015, I went to all our partners that we work with around the world, and I said, what is it we are missing They said primarily two things. One, your leadership has been made in North America and exported to us. And that doesn't always work. But secondly, and this is the one that surprised me, these are good people that we work with around the world. They said this to me. You cannot assume that if you call yourself, that that if we call ourselves Christians and Christian leaders, that we understand what it really means to be a Christian and what it means to be a Christian leader from Scripture. I was puzzled by that until we began to look into it. And what we have come up with, and this is why I am so excited about what I am doing today, not because of anything I did, not because of anything some people did around me, but the Holy Spirit has given us the ability to understand that Jesus' definition of leadership is very different than North American corporate culture leadership. So there are two things that are necessary. We have to affirm the basics of the Christian faith. 
Most of us can tell you that we get our salvation from Jesus Christ and that we're going to heaven. And apart from that, very few of us can articulate our faith. What we do is repeat the dogma of the church we go to. I'm not saying that's wrong. But quite often churches steal you, your identity away from God and make you like them. Another whole seminar. Here are the basics of the Christian faith. When you came to Jesus Christ, you were made brand new. Hallelujah. The old is past. Totally gone. Rahab or Moses, doesn't matter. Gone. You are now sons and daughters of God. You have a brand new identity in God. He meets through the power of his Holy Spirit in you every single need you have on earth as a human being. Your emotional, your mental, your physical, your spiritual needs are met in Jesus Christ. And the moment you try to find those needs in somebody else, you weaken or cheapen the grace of God. He has given you motivational gifts, talents, and abilities. The ability to play the drum. The ability to understand engineering. The ability to be medical. He has put those gifts within you. And you have the ability to use that through the power of the Holy Spirit to influence. He has also allowed you the ability now every day to renew your mind and to use your emotions. Those are the basics of the Christian faith. And you empty up into the fact that Jesus Christ is everything. Everything. And then we redefine Christian leadership. Leadership is not titles, position, power, and authority the way the world tells you, especially young people learn this early. Leadership is the Spirit's influence through you. And we do it through our authentic leadership seminars all around the world through partners. We do not ever use the name Equip Leadership Canada offshore of Canada. It's always the name of our partner. Again, another seminar. So it all boils down to this. Christian leadership is influence. The Holy Spirit's influence through you. Wes Bolt, who wrote Authentic Leadership, says more often than not, Christianity is being sold as a behavior improvement program, not the understanding that we have a relationship with the God of the universe and his influence through us. I like the way Oswald Chambers says it. Oswald Chambers says this, when you obey God in even the smallest decisions of your day-to-day life, they become pinholes through which you see the face of God. And when you obey, the power of God rushes through you to the people in front of you through his spirit because behind every act of obedience is the reality of an almighty God. You say, well, that's, that's good, Mark. That's great. Nice touch. But really, if I'm not Moses, if I'm not a loudmouth missionary like you, if I'm not a pastor, if I'm not in spiritual work, can I really influence anybody? What about the results? Do you know that when you are a son and daughter of God, you never have to worry about the results? Did you hear me? Ever. 
You just simply obey in your daily life. And even if you can't verbalize your faith in your place of work, people will see how good you are. You should be the best employee that company has. They should see God's love flowing through you through the power of the Spirit. Let me tell you one story to close that proves this point. You've never heard of the four missionaries I'm going to talk about. But when I grew up, I grew up in this area of the world. And the last two years of my life in East Africa, we lived in a place called Eritrea, which then was a province of Ethiopia, but is now an independent country, fiercely Islamic. In this area, darkened area that you see, which is now Eritrea, there was a group of people called the Afar people. They were fierce, they were nomadic, they wandered from place to place with their camels. They were Old Testament-style people. Half of them didn't even know the capital city of Addis Ababa. They were Islamic. And when you were 16 years old as a young man, in order to prove that you were a strong young man, you had to go out and kill somebody from another tribe to prove your manhood. I grew up being terrified of these people. My parents and three other missionaries who lived in that darkened area actually ministered to these people. They did everything they could to ask God to give them one Christian from the Afar tribe. I got dragged to prayer meeting after prayer meeting after prayer meeting. I got dragged all night prayer meetings. All four missionary couples went back, three to the United States of America, one to Canada, my parents, and none of them ever knew of one Afar Christian. That was back in the 60s. Fast forward to January of 2016. Can I say People's Church here, Pastor? Is that all right? We go to the People's Church, Candy and I. We're sitting in our pew on the left side downstairs where we always sit. And Candy elbows me. She goes, hey, they're going to interview an Ethiopian today. Well, up he gets. He's handsome. He's smart. He's articulate. He's funny. He talks to our pastor about how he came from the Muslim faith to Jesus Christ. The church is all excited. And then the pastor, Charles Price, says, no, no, what's the real story behind this? What's the real story? And this is what he said. This won't mean anything to anybody in this room, in this congregation. But he said, I am one of the very first Christians from the Afar tribe. I about fell out of my seat. I ran down afterwards. I hugged him. I greeted him in Herrick, and Asseline and Devon. I said, how do you know our language? I said, I grew up there. I said, I got dragged to prayer meeting after prayer meeting. I didn't pray, but my parents did, and here you are. He said, Mark, no, it's more exciting than that. He said, there are over 200 of us now. Out of a tribal group of 2.5 million, there are 200 Christians now. I said, what do you need? What do you need the most? He had no idea what I did. He looked at me put his hands on my shoulders. 
And he said, we need leadership training. Do you know anybody who does that? (laughs) So in March of this year, I got to go to Ethiopia and train 12 Afar Christian leaders in authentic Christian leadership, the basics of the Christian faith and what it means to have the Spirit's influence through you. But here's what I really want you to notice. The women. See, they came from Muslim backgrounds. They were told, they were told by the Afar tribe, they had two responsibilities in life. Have babies, please men. Have babies, please men. When they became Christians, every one of these people were divorced. I said, why did you pick them, Gurat, the leader? He said, they are the only ones that can read and write in our tribe who really love God. Can you imagine them hearing for the first time that they are as valuable as men in God's eyes? That they have the Holy Spirit in them? That they can influence? It was a celebration. I phoned my dad. I said, Dad, you're not going to believe this. He's 92. He's the last one alive from that group that ministered in the 60s to these people. I said, Dad, I met an off-hour Christian today. He said, you did not. (laughs) I said, Dad, I did. I met an off-hour Christian. And that's not the... There are 200 of them. And he goes, well, praise the Lord, but we did all the work and you're getting all the glory. (laughs) Can you trust God? Of course. Can your act of loving through the Spirit, can your words even though you don't think they're effective, through the Spirit's power, not your own, through the Spirit's power, actually impact eternity? Of course. We live in the most exciting time of global mission ministry in the history of the earth. I am so grateful God kept his promise to Abraham. Because I, as a white Gentile, am now in the family of God. And you who represent the nations of the world are sons and daughters of God too. With the power of the Holy Spirit in you to influence. Some will be called overseas. Hallelujah. Go to it. You may get called to a Wagadugu or Bujumbura. Have fun. Most of us will be called to our secular jobs right here as the platform of influence that God has given to us to reach people for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. (coughs) God, I pray that these words will encourage. Thank you for your grace that have brought us into the family of God. All of us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who has not only sealed us into the family of God, but allows us to walk our daily lives through difficult and celebratory circumstances and influence others for you.
Guard this church. Protect its influence. Give the congregation and its servant leadership love for one another. May from this church come things that change the world, not because we did it or because of our work, but we allowed the Holy Spirit to flow through us into the lives of others. Keep us faithful until you come back to get us or we go home to be with you, whichever comes first, in Jesus' name. Amen.